I'm really excited for today's episode because we're bringing you an in-depth look into my new book, Work Better Together, how to cultivate strong relationships to maximize well-being and boost bottom line. This book is something I'm passionate about and I can't wait to share it with all of you. This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. Today, I'm joined by my co-author, Ann Phillips, a senior leader and researcher at Deloitte Consulting. We're going to be doing something a little different on this episode. I'm going to turn over the hosting reins to my producer, Jesse Baten from Rivet360, who has been with us on the WorkWell podcast journey from the very beginning. Well, 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 how the tables have turned. <laughs> You're scaring me, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> this is a book about relationships. So I kind of wanted to start there on how do you know Jen? And uh, why did you trust her enough to decide to write a book with her? <laughs> uh, great question, Jesse. So Jen and I met maybe six years ago, Jen. You're going to have to refresh my memory. Yeah, um, six or seven. <laughs> yeah. And she was actually just starting off in this role. And, you know, ever since, you know, I've been very interested in the stuff that Jen has been working on. And we found that we had a lot in common in terms of things that we were passionate about. I always told Jen that she's got like, you know, the best job at Deloitte. <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot, and I don't disagree. <laughs> what prompted this project for you? Um, Ann and I collaborated on giving a presentation on this topic, the importance and, and value of relationships at work in 2019 at the Work Human Conference. And when we were done, we had an editor from McGraw-Hill approach us and you know, tell us that it was a great topic, it was a great presentation, and asked us if we had thought about writing a book on the topic. And, you know, we both kind of looked at each other, and I suspect we probably giggled. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, no, actually, we hadn't, um, because we hadn't. And she was like, well, you know, here's my card, give me a call. And so we gave her our cards, as as you do at those types of things. And we said, yeah, sounds great, you know, We'll probably be in touch, but we need to, to give it some thought because I think on you had just finished your first book at that right. time and, and you were like, I, I need a I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> I need a break from this book writing thing. Um so you know, we 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 took her card and and we kind of went back to life and, and work as we knew it and you know, things things got busy and we, you know, we're often kind of our our worlds doing our jobs and doing our life and I think it was about like three months later that we got an email from from the editor and she was like, hey, just checking in, you know, you guys, what do you guys think about writing this book? Um, so Ann and I, you know, got on the phone at the time and we're like, well, you know, what, what do you think we should do? Um, and we kind of took it as, you know, the fact that she was following back up, that it was just, this is a sign from the universe that yeah. like, this was a, this was a book that was needed. This is a topic that was needed. Um, and I think, it, you know, again, it was, you know, it's a topic that we're both passionate about that we believe in, you know, that's why we presented on it in the first place. And so, um, yeah, I think we just kind of took that as a sign and said, all right, you know, let, let's do it. And on being the, the book writing veteran in the group, <laughs> I think I was, I was, you know, kind of 
looking to her, trying to sense her mood around it to say like, okay, is this a good idea? Is this not a good idea? But she she jumped all in. And so so there, there we went. <laughs> you talk about struggling to make relationships a priority at work. I mean, that that language sounds kind of alien to work. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the common myth, right? Yeah. And I talk about that in the book, that kind of the, the aha moment that I had, um, somebody that worked with me um, came to me and, you know, was leaving, you know, had, had accepted another role within the organization and was leaving the team and was very um, upfront and blunt with me <laughs> about why she was leaving the team. Um, and, you know, the essence of it, which we get into in the book was really because, you know, as, as a leader, I, you know, hadn't really taken the time to, to get to know her, to, um, understand what was important to her and what mattered to her and what was meaningful for her and the work that she did. I just expected her to, you know, show up and do a job because that's, that's what, that's what she was there for. Um, and she was very open and honest with me. And of course, I think in the moment at first, I, I was defensive and I, I mm. deflected it. Um, I, you know, processed it more as, well, maybe the role is too challenging for her. Um, maybe it's just that she doesn't, you know, this isn't the kind of work that she likes to do or she's not cut out to do it. Um, but, and I think it was a few years later um, after, you know, I had kind of experienced burnout and gone through some other things in my life that I really stepped back to to process all of these things and to realize that, you know, what she said to me in that moment, um, even in that moment that I, cho- you know, kind of chose not to, not to accept it and not to hear what she was telling me, I did later on hear what she was telling me and it, and it changed me um, and it changed the type of leader that I am today and the type of leader that I want to be. And and at that time when, you know, I had this realization and I was redefining a lot of these things for myself in my own life, I actually sent her a note and I told her, um, you know, what her, what her words meant to me and, and how I hadn't really taken them seriously at the time because I chose to deflect them or to protect my own ego, um, but that she was absolutely right. And she's somebody that, you know, now that we've we've had that conversation, she's somebody that you know is a friend and will probably be a lifelong friend because of that gift that that she gave me. Just in the work that I do, and I'll let On talk about her work. I mean, there is nothing more important than the strength of our relationships when it comes to our well being. And um, there's multiple studies, but in particular, um, a Harvard study that's been going on for something like 83 years on, on human longevity. And they've looked at, you know, everything across the board in terms of, you know, the, the, the things that most impact our long-term health and well-being. And the number one thing that has not changed over an 83-year period has been the strength of our relationships, the strength of our personal relationships. Mm. And since we spend the majority of our waking hours at work, <laughs> if we're not developing those relationships at work, we're inadvertently impacting the the length of our life, to be quite blunt, <laughs> right? Um, but but just like our long-term happiness as well, you know? And, and it's been, it's interesting because it's been long debated. Like, should you have a BFF at work? And, and we talk about this in the book. Not everybody, not every relationship at work has to be your best friend. There are different types of relationships at work. And so we really advocate and promote for 
you know, promote understanding the different types of relationships at work and why they're valuable and why they matter. And so that not, you know, it's impossible to like love everybody that you work with. You don't love everybody in the world, right? Like (laughs) relationships are hard. You have to invest in them. Every relationship is hard. You have to invest in it. It takes time. Um, So it's not possible for every single person at work to be your best friend. And that's not what we're saying, but being aware and intentional about the relationships that you create and the environment that you're in and, and the relationships that you do choose to invest in. And what about you on, do you have a similar experience or, or an experience where you kind of had to like think about how you were interacting in this relationship at work? You know, it's funny. I, I, I don't have like any one particular moment of epiphany or anything like that, but I have a lot of small moments in my life and over my career. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, I started my career in technology, um, but I actually have a degree in humanities. So I, I think the human side of things have always been really important to me, but I have gotten in, into moments where I've forgotten about that. Um, so even, you know, knowing who, who I am and knowing that that's always been important to me, there've been times that I've lost sight of that. Right. Um, in particular, so I started off in client service. I was traveling about, you know, five days a week and I would see my teammates all day for, you know, four to five days out of the week. Um, because we carpooled together, we had meals together, we exercised together, we did a lot of things together. And so we had this natural kind of built-in opportunity to become friends um, and to get to know each other on a personal level. Um, and I think that that, you know, was something I, I didn't realize I had, and it was something I took for granted. And then when I shifted out of that role, stopped traveling and started working from home, I found that I was just so focused on getting stuff done. And part of it was because of the remote work, um, there's the subconscious feeling that, oh, oh my goodness, I need to, I need to show that I'm on. I need to show that I'm productive. I need to show that I'm available. Um, and it was all focused on just trying to get stuff done and to try to show results and to try to show productivity. And every time, you know, we would start talking about personal things, I would think, okay, we don't have time for that. We need to get stuff done. We need to get to work. Um, And I found myself slipping into that. And I thought, wait a second, this is crazy. This is not who I am, you know? Um, And, you know, as I think through all the different kinds of roles that I've had over the years, uh, I've realized that it's, it's never been the technology. It's never been like the project you know, work that's been challenging. It's, you know, the biggest challenges I ever faced in any role um, had to do with people's relationships. Um, and and I realized that that was what, you know, we all needed to start to think about and, and work through. That's a really, really great point. And the main thing that keeps us connected right now is technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On, can you talk a little bit about, you know, this sort of catch-22 that you describe, I, I think you write in the book, people use technologies to become ever more productive, often to the point of becoming less productive. Yeah, so this is, um, you know, this, this, is, this is interesting because I do a lot of research in, in technology uh, and, I, and I write about it and, and the impact of technology on organizations and the importance of it. So just to be 100% clear, Jen and I think technology is great. So we are definitely not Luddites or, you know, anti-tech people. Um, but they're, you know, we are, we are for very intentional use of technology. 
Um, I think it's easy sometimes to be able to take technology and think that you're being more efficient with it. And I think when you, you tie technology with this whole workism or obsession with efficiency and productivity, um, you can have this illusion of being connected to a lot of people, um, but not really being connected to a lot of people. It's, it's so easy, I think, these days for people to be sitting 10 feet apart in an office. And instead of walking over and talking to that person, you're going to send them an email instead because it's that much easier to do that. And so you're emailing back and forth, you know, five or six times when you can just get up and walk over there and have a five minute conversation. So you mean texting with my husband when we're in the same home is not, is not good for our relationship? <laughs> okay, I'm guilty of that too, Jen. Um, so there are times when you might need to do that, but- uh, It's usually when general. I want him to bring me something because I'm being lazy and I don't want to get up and go get it. <laughs> Same. Isn't, isn't that great? Jen, is it fair to say in some ways this is about not just the relationships that we have in the workplace, but the relationships that the people we hire have with the technology that we're using, like with the tools that we're using? A- absolutely. We obviously talk a lot about you know, social relationships and social connection, you know, person to person connection, right? But there mm-hmm. are other relationships that exist, our relationship with the physical environment that we're working in, our relationship with the, you know, operational processes in an organization. And um, all of those relationships are intertwined. You know, you can't really separate them. They impact each other, um, either positively or negatively. I think, you know, over the last decade or so, since technology became so prevalent in nearly every aspect of our life, but in particular in the workplace, we've adopted and adopted and adopted technology, but we haven't really done a good job of adapting to that technology, right? And Mm. so we're not to the Mm -hmm. point yet, like on said, you know, we're not intentionally using our technology to enhance our relationships or to augment our relationships. It can be done. We also make the argument that while technology can be used to augment and enhance our relationships, it can never be used as a replacement for our relationships. And and I think Mm -hmm. the pandemic um, has highlighted that in a big way for people, right? Because to your point, Jesse, when all we're left to is our devices, <laughs> is a way to connect with with one another, we all quickly realized that our devices do not replace true in-person human connection. Our devices do not, you know, give us a hug. <laughs> Our devices do not, you know, make eye contact. Our, you know, our devices don't do all of those things. And so while mm-hmm. having the technology during the pandemic was is incredible and was incredible because it allowed us to maintain those connections, it's it still highlighted how much it's not a replacement. One thing that you talk a lot about in the book is these soft skills. And one of them that you highlight specifically is empathy. Can you talk a little bit about that on where are you seeing that and why? Well, you know, I I think when we think about, you know, the future of work, if you want to call it that, right, and where work is heading, we're seeing that more and more work, first of all, is becoming more collaborative, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's been a 50% increase in the amount of collaborative work that's being done. And more and more um, teams are becoming cross-functional, which means that you're exposed to people who may think differently than you, who are from different functions, who, who may come from different backgrounds. There's an increase in diversity at work, right? So people are coming in from different, you know, cultural backgrounds, but also, you know, ethnicity and socioeconomic as well. Um, so you're talking about, you know, an increasingly diverse workforce, um, as well as more collaborative work, more cross-functional kind of work. And in, in order to be able to work effectively with these people, you have to have empathy. I mean, t- t- it's, it's the foundation of any good relationship is to be on, you know, to understand the other person um, or the other people that you work with. And that's the first step is developing these soft skills, um, being able to read emotions, being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes and, and maybe have a sense for where they might be coming from. And that's going to become more and more important, especially as technology begins to take over some of the more, you know, repetitive, predictable work um, that humans used to do. Um, we're going to mm. have to do more human kinds of work. And so we're going to have to tap into, you know, our human and our soft skills, um, you know, and that includes creativity, that includes, you know, innovation. Um, and and all of that's fueled differently, right? So if you think about technology, technology is, is you know, we maintain all of our systems, right? We make sure that we have software upgrades in our phone. We have make, make sure that we, you know, keep our cars maintained and get a tune-up whenever it needs to be um, tuned up. We get an oil change whenever we need to. But if we think about us as human beings, we have to figure out how to fuel ourselves. And that's where well-being comes into play um, so that we can perform, so that we can tap into these human skills, so that we can connect with people at work, so that we can be more creative and innovative. Do you have anything to add to that, Jen, specifically for leaders when it comes to implementing not only the workforce of the future, but thinking about how it interacts with its tools and implements well-being directly into what they're doing as a team. Yeah. So I I would say, um, you know, the things that have historically been thought of as soft skills um, going forward are going to be essential skills um, and, mm. and things that employers will will either need to um, develop in their workforce or, you know, that's what they will be looking for. Um, because those are truly things that m- machines can't replicate, probably not in our lifetime, <laughs> not in yeah. the way that, that we're talking about it. And so I p- completely agree with On that um, so many things that we talk about with other guests on, on this podcast, the things that allow us to show up and be fully human and be uniquely human, like, you know, prioritizing sleep and prioritizing sleep for our workforce, prioritizing, um, you know, rest and recovery, prioritizing movement and exercise, you know, nothing that will blow your mind, quite frankly, right? We've all heard it. We just don't do it. And part of the reason that we don't Hmm. do it is because our modern world isn't really set up to to, to facilitate it, right? Our modern right, world right. and our technology has in a lot of ways been set up to, to facilitate quite the opposite, you know, to, to keep us attached to our 
devices to keep us, you know, reading or sending one more email to keep, you know, and, and that's just, you know, more hours behind a laptop um, don't equal more productivity. It it actually equals less. I I read a study recently that they did of 10,000 tech workers that shifted to, um, you know, work from home at the beginning of the pandemic. And, um, their hours have increased by 30% and their productivity has decreased by 20%. (laughs) So, so, you know, and, and I think a lot of people are representative of those, of those tech workers. Right. And so I think we, we need to rethink the way that, that, that we're working and, Hmm. um, and the way that we're caring for and supporting our workforce. And, and we talked about this, um, in a, in a previous podcast with, with Erica Vellini, um, and the delayed mm-hmm. human capital trend around designing work for well-being and how do you design well-being into the flow of work. And I think the really exciting thing about that is that technology actually can have a huge role to play in that um, in terms of, of designing work for well-being. Because if we are so Absolutely. reliant on our technology, I think we need to think creatively about, okay, well, how do we actually use that same technology to really support workforce well-being? You know, if, if that's what we know that people are, you know, kind of tuned into all day, every day, then what are the things that we can do, um, you know, to get people to to focus on their own well-being and, and leverage that same technology that we know that in some ways is detracting from our well-being? Because the same way that it's detracting from our well-being, I'm a big believer that same technology can actually enhance our well-being. We just need to think about it differently. Hmm. You know, it, it really does make me think about how symbiotic and and how much they influence each other, like these these tools or bits of technology and how much it influences culture, which in some ways is what we're talking about. It's it's not only does it potentially facilitate culture, okay, we're having like lots of meetings or we're connecting in this way and we we do walking meetings like we've talked about on this show before, Jen. And um but at other times, it also feels like it can be sort of a stand-in. It's like we're you we use this app because that's sort of the kind of company that we are. Um, and so our relationship with the technology in macro um, is kind of part of this as well. But you mentioned it on yourself when you said that most of the challenges that you've faced have been about people and relationships between people on a team. And another thing that you mention in the book is that meaning is really important. Purpose is really important to to create that sense of culture. And so I, I wonder if you could maybe both talk about that and, and I'll start with you on. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's funny because um, there's another book that I was working on at the same time as this one. Uh, and, you know, she's a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually coming out a few months after that. But we actually have this chapter on um, purpose. And, you know, the book is really about how companies have survived during the pandemic and how they really kind of navigate um, what we're calling an acute disruption. So something that happens very suddenly, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And we found that leaders really lean on purpose in order to drive 
their teams through uncertain times. Um, so if you think about what can pull a team together and what can get people behind any kind of culture, um, it really can start at, you know, that point, that point of, you know, what are we all here for? Um, but then I think, you know, you have to go down to the individual level too. And, you know, people need to feel like they have a sense of purpose. So as individuals, you know, and I think that you can build cultures that enable those things to shine through. And that's how you get sort of strong teams. Yeah. Um, it's actually one of my favorite topics. <laughs> so, so meaning and purpose, um, you know, if you, if you kind of peel back the onion, I think, I think what scares a lot of people away from, you know, discovering their, their purpose um, is that we've been led to believe that like, purpose has to be this big giant capital P purpose, right? Like if I'm not doing something that's going to change the world, then then it's not really purpose. Um, and that's just absolutely not true, right? I mean, there is big capital P purpose and, and that matters, right? And there are lots of people that are doing things that are, that are changing the world. Um, you know, but I, when I talk to people about purpose, even the people that are changing the world, it's really about impact on other human beings. Right. And so this goes back to relationships. Like when I walk in a room, regardless of what the room is, regardless of what my day to day job is, if I'm interacting with human beings, other human beings, my purpose in some way is connected to like leaving the room in a better place than I came in. Right. Like inspiring people, changing, helping people understand something, pe helping people achieve their goals, helping people, you know, so, so it's so often about helping others, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's my family, um, whether it's in my community. And I talk to people a lot about purpose at work because I often get the question, well, you're, you're a chief well-being officer. Of course, there's purpose and meaning in your work. And that's absolutely true. And I don't, I don't take that for granted. But the truth is, is once you know what your purpose is, you can thread that through in your job every, literally every single day. And I think we have to focus on what I call kind of lowercase p, right? Like what's everyday purpose, not just mm -hmm. like big giant purpose. And if you can't find it in your immediate job that you're doing every single day, is your job fueling your purpose outside of work? And I think we we get caught up in thinking that our our personal purpose um, has to be tied up in the work that we do every single day. And I would encourage people not to tie it up in the work that they do every single day because sometimes work is just a job, <laughs> you yep. know, but, but, but you, you know, that job may come and go, but you're still you and your purpose is still your purpose, right? Like your job doesn't change your purpose and it shouldn't. Um, that said, I do think that for employers, it is increasingly becoming more important for, for, you know, the workforce and workers want to understand, you know, the downstream impacts of the work that they're doing. They want to understand, you know, the, the, the impact that the work that they're doing is having um, and, and kind of the why behind it, right? Regardless of what the type of work is. And so I do think mm -hmm. that going forward, um, that is something that is, you going to continue to have increasing importance and, and knowing, you know, knowing the value in the work that you're doing is really important, um, not just for your own personal well-being, but for, 
you know, for, for employers, right? Because it's, you know, I mean, if I understand the value of the work that I'm doing, I'm going to be more engaged in my work. I'm going to feel better about the work that I'm doing. I'm going to be nicer to the people that I work with. <laughs> you know, it just has a lot of down, like really positive down. I'm going to do better work um, because I, because I understand the, the point behind the work that I'm doing and the purpose and the impact that it's having. And it may be way downstream, but I just think that for, um, employers to be able to articulate that to their workforce is becoming increasingly more important. And and when you think about, you know, social enterprise, right, people's expectations of a of an organization now is to care about more than just making money. Right. Like they people, you know, employees or the workforce wants their employer to care about the communities in which they operate in and to be involved in making those communities better places, right? And so the enterprises that are going to continue to thrive, if you will, are are the social enterprises that are investing in in not just their workforce um, and their workforce's well-being, but also, you know, in the in the communities in which, you know, in which they operate um, and, and in the social you know, the social fabric of, of our world, if you will. Is it almost like employees are starting to expect and perhaps should be encouraged to continue to expect that it should fit into a healthy life? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, so if you, if you look at kind of work and life over time, right. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you go back a number of years before a technology, you know, there was a clear separation between work and life. I mean, you mm-hmm. left work and you couldn't bring work home with you, right? And so there was there was a clear delineation. And by the way, the world didn't come to an end at that time. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but we but we had no choice. That was just the norm, right? And then you you start to see, you know, technology coming onto the scene and there's a lot of positives with right with that right like technology gave us the ability to work from anywhere but technology also yeah. gave us the ability to work from anywhere right and it and it increasingly continues to blur the lines as the devices that we hold in our hand are powerful enough to send us to the moon right <laughs> so, so it, you know we don't even need we don't even need to carry a laptop around with us a- anymore right and so it has it has blurred it, it's done some amazing things but it's it's a blurred it's blurred those lines and you know human beings in general are very bad at boundaries and willpower, right? And absent of- I can testify. (laughs) Right. And so absent of our employer helping to set those behaviors and norms and give those permissions and create that culture and create those dynamics within the culture of the organization, the human beings aren't going to do a good job of doing it themselves because no one wants to be seen as the outlier. Like, you know, oh, you know, it's so true. You know, Jen, you know, Jen doesn't answer email after nine o'clock at night. She's not, you know, mm-hmm. she's not committed. What you mean? She's sleeping? What? What sleep? <laughs> mm. You know, employers, it, it, it is, it is the responsibility of employers to, to create the cultures that not only, um, support and empower employees to develop strong relationships with one another, but um, to value well-being. And we talk about that in the book. Um, we lay it out in, in kind of a, a quadrant, 
a two by two. Um, and you know, the, the upper right quadrant is called trusted teams and in trusted teams, um, you have all of these things, right? You have a culture environment on the team that, that not only, um, you know, value highly values the relationships of, of the team members, but also the well-being of, of the team as a whole and the well-being of each team member. So on, for the person out there who, who maybe is having like a little bit of trouble letting go of the idea that, you know, I, I want competition. Like that's what makes, <laughs> that's what makes us great. Yeah. Do you have like a final takeaway um, about the book? Maybe your, your final pitch to them, uh, if, if not to completely change their mind for, for why they should be open to giving the book a read and, and considering a, a different way. I'm so glad you got that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I, I, I do have a thought for this. And I think okay. that, you know, my response to that person would be, um, you know, if you are able to open yourself up to having meaningful relationships at work, not only do you have an opportunity to increase your level of engagement, your level of personal connection as a human being, um, but also I think the potential to, you know, achieve so much more than you could achieve on your own. Um, because, you know, there's this myth of like the lone genius who goes about it al mm. alone. And it's just not true. I mean, some of the most amazing things that have been accomplished have been done in teams. Um, and if you think about something that is really thorny or big or, you know, arduous, um, you know, what better way than to tackle that with somebody that you trust um, and someone that you're friends with? I mean, I, I look at this book project with Jen and I think that we couldn't have produced mm. such a great book if Jen and I weren't friends and if we didn't absolutely 100% trust each other. Um, and, and that's at the heart of it. So when you have competition, you don't have trust um, or that kind of competition that you're talking about. Um, you don't have trust. And when you don't have trust, you can't share, share knowledge. And if you don't share knowledge, you can't achieve some amazing things um, that you could achieve, you know, from a create, creative perspective, from an innovative perspective, all of that. And what about you, Jen? Do you have any final takeaways? I think my my hope for for the people that that read this book, um, you know that you know that they will learn one or two new things that they um, start to practice and employ in in their life. But I also think that bigger than that, you know, purpose with a capital P, perhaps, <laughs> um, is you know, that, that we'll all realize regardless of our role in an organization from C-suite executive on down that, you know, we all have a role to play in the culture that we, that we want to create. Um, and, you know, culture starts with, you know, the people that we, that we interact with most regularly, right? And that's our team. And those are the people that also have the biggest impact on, on our day-to-day well-being. Um, and, and yes, the tone does need to be set at the top and leaders need to walk the talk, but, but we all have agency, um, for the culture that we want to create and, and, and we all owe it to ourselves and everybody that we care about to take action on creating a better culture for ourselves, One that really truly understands and values, um, you know, personal 
meaningful connections and and well being. And I think, um, you know, purpose with a capital P, the world will just be a better place for all of us. Jen, I'm so glad that you squeezed that one in about <laughs> everyone having a role to play in the culture. Yeah. The book is Work Better Together. Where can people find the book? So the book is available now. Um, it was it was released on June 29th. And so it's available um, at Amazon, but also any of your favorite book retailers. And if they don't have it in stock, I think you should ask them to order it. <laughs> The last thing I'll say, Jen, I, I've been as your producer, I've been here for a lot of conversations about well-being. Um, I've soaked up a lot of knowledge from listening to the show, and it has definitely given me the, you know, sort of strength of will or, um, you know, nerves to just have tough conversations at work. Um, and I've literally been like, you know, like they said on the Work Well podcast. So uh, I hope in some way that this book can be like that for other people and i think you know even it's right there in the title look boss like i want to work better together um so giving people the language to have those conversations is it, it's really meaningful and um it, it's happened for me so thank you awesome i love that thanks jesse I'm so grateful that my co-author, Ann, could be with us today to talk about our new book, Work Better Together. And to Jesse, special thanks to you for guest hosting and producing. You can find Work Well Together on Amazon or your favorite book retailer. Thank you to our producers, Rivet360, and our listeners. You can find the Work Well podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword work well, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the Work Well podcast series, or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher, or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well.